I drink. Occasionally I smoke. If you ask my wife, my kids, my tech, my agent, or my manager, they'll all tell you that I curse more than I should. I fooled around with women on tour buses. I've been arrested for indecent exposure. I've been reckless with money to the point of bankruptcy. My favorite bands are the Beatles, Van Halen, and Judas Priest. I was pissed at God when my wife died of cancer, and I despise religion. I am a Christian. You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. So what you just heard was the first paragraph of Michael Sweet's book. Wasn't that paragraph crazy? I mean, what a start to a book. Hollywood, what's happening with yourself this fine morning? Oh, I am looking forward to what is going on later this morning, for sure. That's right. So we're both kind of excited about this one because I think Striper was a big grown-up rock band for both of us uh, early on in our youthful misconduct days, correct? Yeah, for me, uh, you know, they started in the early 80s, and I really kind of got into music right around 84, So they started in 83, they were all over MTV, they had the vocal, they got the melodies, they got the smoking guitars. I mean, it is like it was ripe for everything that I would listen to at that point. And the whole, they're Christian, they got faith-based lyrics and all that never really mattered to me. All that other stuff mattered more. Yeah, so... Once again, that two to three year difference uh, in you and I comes into play because I got into the band with the Yellow and Black Attack EP and discovered them in, I guess it was an, I, you know, I want to say it's an import bin, but I don't know if it was. I know that the first vinyl I had was an actual Enigma pressing before Enigma had the deal with Capital, as far as I can remember. I may be wrong about that, but I'm relatively sure that it was just uh, an Enigma pressing without the Capital logo on it. And I got into the band. And to be honest, once again, the image and stuff never really played a part in me wanting to check this band out. It was all about the music. I just dug the music from uh, start to finish. Uh, If anything, I thought the whole yellow and black thing was, you know, I don't want to say hokey. It was just a little bit, I don't know. I I just didn't think one way or another to me uh, at the time because, you know, everybody was wearing all kinds of different things. You know, they looked cool as far as the long hair and everything. So uh, I was all in at that point. Yeah, I thought I gave them a different look, right? It uh, made them stand out. and For sure that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all everything points to it was really Robert's idea because Robert is – more the visual guy and Michael's more the music guy. Yep. Although, you know, Robert's an incredible drummer, but uh, for me, it did stand out. So I kind of came in right at the end of soldiers under command and going into to hell with the devil. Cause to hell with the devil came out right after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I came in and then went backwards. 
Yeah, that's killer. That's I mean, I'm looking forward to talking to Michael. I know Michael has made the rounds with other shows and other podcasts, but you know, like we like to do here on Growing Up Rock, we want to try and dig a little bit deeper and get into some things that maybe people haven't talked to him about. I know that you've read his autobiography, which is a really, really good book. Uh, I've yet to check that out, but it's on my list uh, to check out. I think we both feel pretty damn passionate about the latest record, right? I mean, the latest record's pretty damn good, right? Oh, yeah. The latest record uh, right now, let's say it's we're recording this at the end of May. Right now would be my number one record of the year, and I will be very, very surprised if it's not in the top three by the end of the year. I love the new record. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's early. We still got a half a year, and I've been taking notes and putting stuff down uh, as it comes out because uh, right now the two records that stand out for me are this Striper record and then the Judas Priest record. Yeah, I listened to that Judas Priest record again on a run this morning, and it's just so damn good. I mean, the Striper record is right up there with it, which amazes me because uh, with all the great music coming out today, you know, it's it's two bands like Striper and Judas Priest that have been out been around for a minute and still producing amazing uh, music like this in 2018. Uh, just shows that bands should continue to put out you know music and not just live on the uh, legacy of of what has been you know yeah i'm with you i mean if they're gonna put out great music then yeah they should continue to put out music if they're just putting out music just for the sake of doing something then it probably's not worth it but uh i agree with you the priest and the striper record and bullet boys record yeah it's been great it was great yeah all right so <laughs> That's what's coming up, our interview with Michael Sweet. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. So Growing Ups of the Week, and we have a ton uh, with Holkstra's interview being out there, Steve Stevens' interview being out there, the Prince episode that's still getting some hits, uh, we had a ton of shares on Facebook and retweets on Twitter. So uh, a great list here. I was going to say, you want to split this up? It's so damn long. Oh, no, that's okay. Because I want to add in some of the commentary on the podcast that always help us out and call us out. I was going to call them out too, so no problem. Awesome. All right. Carrie 77, Metal Empire Mag, Flipper 5150 Carlin, Elizabeth Raphael, Michael Groves, Ready Set Music, James Java, Alan Tate. Now, Alan Tate is part of uh, Ages of Rock podcast, and they've been a huge supporter. So check out their episode 177. Uh, the Jeff Pilsen interview is a pretty good interview. Robert Norwood, Trapper Kane, Distorted Mix, Snake Pliskin, Kelly Smith, Billy Idol Chat. John Von Den Boss, Savochin McCall. Hey, let me interrupt you there for a minute. Do you know who Snake Pliskin is? No. Because I could tell the way you read that that you didn't recognize that name. You're unfam- no, I don't. You're unfamiliar with Snake Pliskin? Right. So Snake, Snake Pliskin is the Kurt Russell character in Escape from New York. Oh, I've never seen that movie. Oh, dude. 
go go watch the first Escape from New York with uh with Kurt Russell. Don't watch the ones after it, but watch that first one. It's fantastic. I mean, that's a classic movie, Escape from New York, John Carpenter flick uh, with uh, Kurt Russell. He's he's the character Snake Plissken. That's why oh. I know that. So that's that's a grown up grown up rock uh, blast from the past. Hearing that name, that's funny. Oh yeah, I've never heard that. Uh, Savochkin McHale, I think that's how you say it. Uh, Decibel Geek Podcast, which those guys, Chris and Aaron, have been a supporter from day one. Check out episode 317, which is the Bullet Boys albums Unleashed with Mick Sweeta, and the episode 318, which is uh, Vinnie Vincent Invasion albums released with Vinnie Vincent. So if you haven't checked those out, you want to check that out. Folkpoprock.com, David Cathy, Steve Wright from Potter Than Hell podcast, been a huge supporter. They just released episode 45, Triumphant Opening Tracks. Talking Metal, J.W. Buford II, Furman Buidana Pang. Love for Mr. Nelson, Daryl Alber, Classic Rock Drops, which check out episode 29. And I think episode 28 was a Michael Sweet interview a while back. Eladio, Tom Dust, Christians and Damon's Amazing Nerd Show, Courtney Cronin Dold, our friend comedian, Jason Kearney, who did an episode with us a few episodes ago, Joel Scott Zerns, Flavio Arismedi, I Love It Loudcast, which is a new podcast. Cast, you want to check them out. <laughs> their episode one is is interesting because it's their top five bands, and uh, it's not bands most people would choose. So it's an interesting podcast. Great guys. OU812, Save Rock and Metal, Brian Chambers, Scott Delaney, Mark Miller, Boomer970W, Becky Chase, Allison Rock One, Tracker, Boogie9622-5436. Hopefully that's not their phone number. Uh, Ron Runyon. Bill Algy, Shane A. Bear, our buddy Mooger Fuger there, Lori Lyles, Isadora Valkowicz, Becca Lynn 1971, I'm Billy Idol, which is a Twitter handle, but it's not actually Billy Idol, Kristen Kivo, Lisa Yount, Janet Eck, J.M. Snake Fan, Jim Crowley, Jane Just Jane, our buddy Jay Sabluski, Little Fish, Emmanuel Arias, Lady Lake Music, Nighthawk, Andrew Jacobs, Gotti 100, Ribbon Bear, Bella Lowe's 1966, Dirk Sokolowski, that was hard to say, uh, Matthew Patterson, Podcast Rock City, which uh, check out our episode 199 interview with Bobby Rock and Todd Kearns. And we interviewed Todd Kearns, Stephen did, on our uh, last episode. Ken Mills, Rick Friel, Mark Winder 8, OG DNR Crew, Nautilus, Victorian, Aztec, Ogata, Shuana Lee, Bill Elam, Digital Killed, which uh, April 20th, they released a fave album openers. Uh, Digital Killed is a podcast, really cool podcast. Easy MT Radio Podcast, DNR Studio CEO, Restrain, which who provide us the transition music, so thank you. Melodic Dirt, and then Joel Holkstra shared his own episode, which was really cool. So Thank you to the grown-ups of the week. Again, a ton of people shared us and retweeted us, and we appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate everybody stepping up and sharing us. And uh, we were getting some uh, good reviews both on our Facebook page and in iTunes for a while, but uh, it's been a little bit dry. So we know folks are uh, out there listening. We appreciate the shares. Definitely helps us out in getting the word out, but... 
please take a couple minutes out of your day and go to our Facebook page or go to the iTunes store and leave us a five-star review so that we can read that on there. We always appreciate that. All right, so it's almost time for us to get to our topic of the week, which is our interview with Michael Sweet. As we both said earlier, we're pretty excited about this just because Striper has put out amazing catalog of great music. They've been important in both Sonny and my growing up rock years early on in our high school years. And so, uh, yeah, very cool. Sonny, you got anything else you want to talk about? No, I'm looking forward uh, to Michael's stories. And uh, we've got some interesting questions for him. And uh, I'm super fanboy when it comes to Michael Sweet because he's one of my top 10 singers of all time. And uh, he's still killing it out there at 55 years old. So let's get to it. All right, that's it. So we're going to go into this Michael Sweet interview from Striper, and we will talk to all you guys next week. Go leave us a five-star review. Later. Later. Hey, guys, this is Michael Sweet from Striper, and you are listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast with Stephen and Sonny. Have you ever heard the acronym for Salvation Through Redemption Yielding Peace, Encouragement, and Righteousness? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the lead singer and criminally underrated, let me say that again, criminally underrated guitarist of Striper, Michael Sweet. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. And that was very kind of you. And if that's true, if I'm not criminally underrated, as you put it, we better start arresting people, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we want to do, because we don't think that you're criminally underrated as a vocalist. You're an amazing vocalist. But yeah, sometimes I think your guitar playing tends to get overlooked a lot. And so we want to talk about some of your guitar influences. You normally don't hear Lou Martin, Chuck Berry, and John Fogarty as guitar influences. So tell us how you came about these legendary musicians. Well, I mean, you know, my dad uh, growing up was uh, very diverse in his musical taste. And uh, he played everything from Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis to believe it or not, Black Sabbath. My dad kind of liked it all, and that rubbed off on me. You know, I grew up loving Elvis, and I grew up loving Creedence Clearwater Revival and Hank Williams and, uh, you know, Pavarotti and, I mean, <laughs> so many different types of music and artists, and I have my dad to thank for that. And then as I became, you know, mid to late teen years, teenager, I started getting into the harder edge stuff, you know, guys like obviously Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen, <clears throat> who became big influences on me as well. And, you know, I think the whole guitar thing, I, I've kind of learned to accept it for what it is and swallow the pill. And uh, it's really not a big deal. But I think I, I do get forgotten as a player uh, because I'm a singer. Yep. You know, it, people just assume that I'm the singer and Singers don't typically play, and if they do, they play rhythm. Or, you know, it's not 
it's not legit enough, you know, to, to be remembered as a guitar player. But, you know, truth be known, I, I, I do play a lot. I mean, Oz and I do a lot of double harmony parts. And sure. We split up most of the solos. And I don't think people realize that until they come and see us live. Uh, and then nine times out of ten, they're really taken aback by that. And they'll come up to me after the show and say, we had no idea you played guitar. And it always astonishes me to some degree because you, you watch the old videos and I'm playing guitar in the videos. Right. So it's very interesting to me how that works. But you know what? It's all good. Uh, I do play guitar. It's my first instrument. Yeah. I was playing before I sang. Um, and I love playing guitar, man. And I... I do what I do. I don't try to do anything else. I'm not a, you know, shredder. I try to play with heart and soul and melodic solos and write parts and solos that uh, you can sing and remember. Yeah. And you talked about your dad being an influence. Were either one of your parents musicians by chance? Both of my parents. Okay. My, my mom plays guitar, but mainly sings, you know, my dad plays guitar and played bass for a long while taught me how to play bass. I actually played bass uh, for a couple of years as a kid, yeah. and I was more drawn to guitar. But um, yeah, they're both singers and players and songwriters, and I grew up around that my entire life. You know, my grandparents, too, okay. my cousins. So, so yeah, so we can see where the musical genes kind of kind of come into the family. You grew up there in California, right? I grew up in Southern California for the most part. Moved to Oklahoma for a short period of my life when I was in third grade. Lived there for a little over a year. Moved back to California. So primarily California, but I, I moved to Massachusetts to raise my kids uh, in a different environment uh, back in 1995. So when, when you were growing up there in Southern California, were you ever a fanboy and uh, kind of went after... Uh, one of your musical heroes for autographs or hanging out by backstage doors. Do you have any stories like that? You know what? I'm going to be honest. I've never been like that. Huh. <laughs> I mean, I was always that guy where if I looked over 10 feet away and I saw someone standing there that I've wanted to meet and have, uh, you know, looked up to, I'm that guy that's not going to approach them, you know, unless, unless I feel it's right. Cause I'm, I'm all about like respect, you know, and I, I would never invade their privacy. If like if they're eating a meal, I'm not the guy that's going to walk up to them while they're taking a bite of steak and say, can I get your autograph? <laughs> you right. It's just, it, it's just how I am. Now that you're on the flip side of things, has there been anybody that you've met um, recently that kind of made you type uh, maybe a little bit of a fanboy and kind of said, wow, I can't believe I finally get to meet this person? Oh, man, there's quite a few over yeah. the years. You know, I, whenever we record, we always run into people, you know, and over the years, you know, uh, we ran into Barbara Streisand and uh, Crosby, Steele's Nash and Young. And, um, oh, my gosh. Uh, Chicago. I love Chicago. So that was kind of fanboying out over that. Uh, yeah. You know, there's there's so many over the years. Right. Uh, there's a lot of people I haven't met either that I'd love to meet. Maybe someday I will. So, Michael, your book, which just had its fourth anniversary, it's a great book, by the way, uh, reveals it's crazy how you sometimes meet the people in the weirdest situations that are part of your entire life. Tell us about the story, how Oz reacted at the school lunch gig. I guess he felt like the show deserved an encore. 
Yeah, I think it was just one of those situations where we were playing and having a good time and, and really into it, adrenaline kicking in and whatnot. And, you know, the bell rang. Uh, we had a tough time setting up, so we didn't get the full set in, which was only a half hour. And by the time we started playing, I and mean, then it, it ended so quickly, I think we were all a little amped up. Uh, Oz a little bit more so, you know? And it just kind of, it, it got a little heated and uh, some things were said and they asked us to leave. And, you know, it's just... <laughs> In the moment, it was crazy, but looking back on it, it's hilarious. That's great. For folks who want the full story, and it's a great one, it's in Michael Sweet's book. It's called Honestly, My Life and Striper Revealed, and Oz's story is on pages 28 and 29. Check it out. You mentioned that Van Halen's a huge influence on you. Give us a Van Halen song that you were particularly fond of uh, growing up. That's really hard. That's hard to pick one song. I, I, I'd have to pick an album, and that would be Van Halen 1. Shoo-dee-wah, 
That whole album really helped shape my life, my, my musical journey. It inspired me so much, probably more than any other album. I mean, Boston runs a close second, first Boston album. I was 13 when I first heard that, and that blew my mind, inspired me to go out and achieve a better guitar tone and you know become a producer and all sorts of things, because um, I loved it. Uh, but Van Halen took it to a new level in terms of the energy that they had and how Eddie played and the fire they played with. And, and that really inspired me at a perfect time in my life, you know, when that came out. So, man, th that was the biggest influence, that album. And I loved every single song on it and still do. You, you and so many others. Well, it's, just, it's, it's one of those albums, man, that will never be repeated. No one will come close. You, you can try and do whatever you want to do, and I don't care what, how great the musicians are, the producer, you get Ted Templeman again and get the best players, and you're never going to achieve the greatness of that album. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, no doubt. So if the band's color scheme was pink, purple versus yellow, black, does CeCe DeVille end up in the band? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. <laughs> Because CeCe, CeCe joked about that when he came down and we were jamming and talking about forming a band and having him join the band. We told him our theme is yellow and black, and that's what he's going to have to do. And he wasn't into it. You know, he told us flat out, I'm into pink and purple, more glammy stuff. And, you know, even if he was into black and yellow, uh, CeCe's plane wouldn't have fit the band. Well, you know, and it's interesting you say that because Sonny and I talked a little bit about this before we jumped on the phone, how kind of, you know, it would have it changed the entire landscape of the band. And so we were thinking, well, not only did CeCe uh, audition, but you guys also auditioned Doug Aldridge, right? Yeah, and that's a whole different story. Doug's an amazing player. Exactly. So. I mean, that you know, that would have taken on. We would have taken on a different dynamic with Doug, obviously. Uh, but you know, uh, and he's a great player, and, and everybody knows how great he is. Uh, but still, it wasn't meant to be. You know, CC on the other hand, I, I, I don't think, I don't think that would have worked out, even if we had decided to do it. And he officially joined the band back then. I think a week later, two weeks later, we would have probably parted ways. Right, because uh, I don't think it, it, as good a player as CC is, and he fits perfectly with Poison. He wouldn't have fit with Striper. I, I don't think he would have been able to uh, to uh, you know um, keep up with us. It, it, and I say that with all due respect. Yeah, your unofficially patented scream, first of all, is still amazing in your mid fifties. When did you first discover the complete range of your voice? And when you write or record, are you consciously thinking, let's see, enter scream here, 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 and here? 
Well, I usually, when I, when I first started doing that, back when I was young, you know, 16, 17 years old, and I, I heard Rob Halford for the first time on Unleashed in the East, that was a, an eye-opener for me. You know, it made me think like, wow, I love this guy's range. I love the tone. I can do that. And that's when I started experimenting with my own voice and, and trying different things and branching out, stretching my, my limits and I discovered that I could hit high notes and I had an upper range in my head voice. And I developed that and, and worked it into a, a loud, strong head voice that can be deceiving sometimes because sometimes people think it's full voice, you know, and it's, it's not. Uh, but I've been able to kind of develop a way to do it when I can do it. That is louder and more powerful and blends right in with my, with my chest voice. Uh, but that's really probably thanks goes to Rob Halford on that. And I pick my battles. I can't hit all the high notes anymore. I'm not going to sit here and say that I can. But I can hit them from time to time. On the albums, I can do more because I have the, uh, the luxury of, you know, working at my own pace. And, you know, if I can't hit a particular high note in one hour, I'll go take a walk and come back and hit it an hour later. So, because I have my own studio at my house and I do all the vocals there and I produce those and I'm able to do that. Uh, so I have the freedom to do that and it's wonderful. But, you know, I just pick my battles, man. I, I, I do what I can do and I don't try to do anything I can't do. Right. So, uh, Michael, you've got a, a pretty good catalog of solo material. How do you decide what is solo material and what becomes striper material? Because I can hear some of the material that would work on both, in my opinion. So oh, for sure. How do you differentiate between the two? You know, I don't. I don't sit down when I'm writing a solo album and think, okay, this is solo, so I got to write solo. And then vice versa with the striper album. I don't sit there and think, okay, it's striper, I got to write striper. It just comes out. Uh, and sometimes some songs that we record as Striper might sound like solo songs, and some songs that we record as I record as solo might sound like Striper songs, just like you said. Yeah. So I got to tell you, both of us absolutely love One Sided War. Pick a song to play off this record for us, please. Oh, man. I mean, there's so many. One of my favorites is a song called I Am. It's really powerful. It's, it's got... It's got a great message and a great riff, and it's one that a lot of people really like and get, and it speaks volumes, man, that song.
So I was on the Monsters of Rock cruise in 2015, and I remember you guys were up next, up on the upper stage, and I'm sitting there watching you guys set up. And you're playing Roadie, you're playing Soundman, you're playing Rockstar. I'm watching you thinking this over-obsessive perfectionist, how does he get anything done? Like he's in control of everything. Well, you know, it's just the way my mind works, man. I'm, I'm definitely recently diagnosed with ADHD, and, and you know, I accept that proudly. I don't have any issues with that. It's part of the reason why I'm so focused. I'm able to. The H stands for hyper, hyper focus. I'm able to hyper focus on whatever I'm working on and get it done. And then I, you know, I, I'm an OCD guy too. That kind of drives me crazy sometimes. You know, when I'm sitting there, uh, you know, folding my underwear and putting it in my suitcase for 10 minutes, just right. You know, that's when it becomes an issue. But I think, again, that somehow plays a part in my creativity, you know, because I OCD and ADHD out, man, when I'm making an album. And, and that, that both of those things kind of lead to some sort of perfection. I'm, I'm a perfectionist, too, and I, I strive for perfection. And those two things help me to hopefully accomplish that. But I'm all about every part. I don't just listen to guitars. I don't just try to make guitars good. I, I listen to drums. I'm a closet drummer. I can play drums. I play a little bass. I played bass when I was a kid. I listen to all instruments. And I think about all tones. And that's just the way my mind works. You know, I'll, I'll send the album out when it's mixed to the guys and... It's pretty funny because, you know, Robert will come back with, hey, you know, it sounds really good, but man, I could use a little more snare, you know, and then, uh, you know, the bass player might say, oh, yeah, it sounds great, but I could, you know, a little more bass. And then Oz might say, yeah, my solo's a little louder. You know, I try to think of it and hear it all. Yeah. So your latest album, Goddamn Evil, is pretty killer. Uh, both Sonny and I, we, we basically haven't stopped listening to it since it came out. Sonny really loves uh, You Don't Even Know Me, The Valley, and Sorry, and I'm pretty partial to Sorry, The Valley, and the title track, Goddamn Evil. Well, those are all, and I'm not just saying this, those are all my favorites. My, my favorite at this moment being You Don't Even Know Me. And then I don't really know why. There's just something about that riff and that groove that pulls me in. But, man, I love Sorry. I love Goddamn Evil. I love The Valley. I love uh, You Don't Even Know Me. I Can't Live Without Your Love. Those are all my favorites. And and I think the best tracks, you know, they, they have something a little bit more special. They, all the songs are great on the album. I mean, don't get me wrong. They, they really are. But those have a little bit more of a special factor that, and, and a little bit more of a cut above. And very happy with how those turned out. Tell me a little bit about the song Sorry, because it's one of my favorite tracks, and after reading the lyrics, it made me think of a subject, but I'm not sure that what I read into that song was your intended meaning when you wrote it. So can you tell me a little bit about that song? Well, the song speaks of, you know, somebody that keeps basically betraying you. They keep betraying you and betraying you and betraying you and knifing you and knifing you and coming back and saying, I'm sorry. Then they do it again. Then they come back and say, oh, man, I'm so sorry. They make a lifetime out of it. And at some point, you just have to walk away and say, you know what? 
uh, sorry doesn't always make it starry. Maybe next time be more charming so you don't have to say sorry, sorry a gazillion times and not mean it. So that is interesting because that's exactly how I took it and how I read it. And, you know, I think today as a society, we've kind of lost the meaning of the word sorry because I think everybody kind of uses that word to make everything okay. So, uh, yeah, I exactly. love that song. That's, that's right on track. Yeah, I mean, and you know, your words really truly mean nothing. Your actions mean everything. Yeah. You know, you can say you're sorry a thousand times, but if you're if you're really not with your actions and you keep burning bridges, then you're not really sorry. Yeah, agreed. So, and it's a cool tune, man. It's a great riff. Love it. Love the love the vibe on that song, man. It's just got a cool groove to it. Yeah, I love it. So, Michael, we want to respect your time today. We know that you got other things going on. I've always wanted to say this to you. I've met you once. Uh, my son and I went to one of your solo shows here in Sacramento and at the Gold Trading Post, I think, and it was great. But uh, one of the things I've always wanted to say to you is I know the job of being the band's driving force and leader can be thankless at times, but I want to personally thank you for all the joy that Stripers brought to my life. And I'm not an overly religious guy, so I want to thank you for allowing me to enjoy your music without preaching to me. So thank you for that. Well, buddy, then I'm going to preach to you right now. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I appreciate that, man. That's very nice. Yeah, it's, you know, we were just talking about this uh, the other night. Uh, between ourselves it, it a lot of people think that this lifestyle is you know a very simple easy uncomplicated lifestyle and and how what a dream it would be for anyone to be a rock star and oh man the rock star life what a life and it's really it's a really tough life i mean you're living out of a suitcase you're traveling you're working your butt off and um there's a lot of work that goes into it and then you add to that get beat up for taking a stand for Christ, you know, as as a rock metal band. And uh, we kind of get it from both ends, but it doesn't detour us. It doesn't keep us from doing what we know we're here to do. And we do it with a smile on our face. We still love it and enjoy it. And that's not going to stop us, man. We're going we're gonna to be that band that uh, everyone's surprised by the fact that we're still around in 20 years or 30 years and you know, we're going to get that catalog up to 20 studio albums or 25 studio albums. And we'll still be doing this, Lord willing, if we stay healthy. And uh, we'll be the underdog band that people are like, what? I didn't see that coming. And Michael, since we mentioned you don't even know me, we're going to play that right now. So uh, we appreciate your time. You've been awesome. I'm looking forward to personally seeing you guys next week here in Atlanta. It's all good. Awesome, guys. Hey, likewise. I look forward to it, man. I'll look forward to meeting you guys. Come say hi to me. And um, I hope it's a killer show. I think it will be. Uh, and we appreciate your support and you know, standing behind us, man. It's great. Absolutely. You want to introduce the song? This song has got this is haunting riff. It's a powerful message. It's about basically internet judgmental attitudes Uh, People saying horrible things about other people that they've never even met. They don't even know them. And I see that daily on the Internet. It's really sad, but unfortunately, it's it's how it is. But hopefully that song will inspire people to not do it as much. And, and, you know, hopefully it'll inspire guitar players to learn that riff, man, because it's a cool riff. But uh, one of my favorites, You Don't Even Know Me.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's that time again. The second annual Rockin' Pod Expo is taking place 
on August 25th at the Nashville Palace in Nashville, Tennessee. Rockin' Pod is a day-long expo bringing together over 20 different podcasts from all over North America, recording content throughout the day. We will also be conducting interviews with some of the musicians and industry folks that will be in attendance. There will be various artists and record producer appearances, some taking pictures and signing autographs, informative artist and podcaster discussion panels, and you'll be able to buy some cool stuff from the record and memorabilia vendors. We believe in podcasting platform and we believe that rock and roll is alive and well. We created the Growing Up Rock podcast because we love talking music and we want to share that love of music with people all around the world. The Rock and Pod is a celebration of podcast and music fans from all around the world. The Grown Up Rock podcast is proud to be one of the many participating podcasts in this year's expo. We will be offering up many different perks for those interested in donating to help fund the expo. If you like podcasts and you want to help contribute to this amazing gathering, please go to Nashville Rock, the letter N, podexpo.com for information. Then click on the GoFundMe link and make a donation in the Growing Up Rock name. Or just go to our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and click on the post pinned to the top of the page for Rock and Pod Perks. Make sure you donate in the name of the Grown Up Rock Podcast. Later. Later.